Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church Podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week 15 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm going to be talking with you about questions 37, 38, and 39. Now when you think about all the things that Jesus did on earth, what is it that comes to mind? What is it that takes precedent in your mind about what Jesus came to do? Now, we could think about this in a couple of different ways. Number one, we could think about how he lived, right? I mean, yes, Jesus was conceived in miraculous fashion by the Holy Spirit in the womb of his mother, who we call the Virgin Mary. But he was born, and he was born like any other human child. And he lived in the home of his mother and earthly father, Joseph. And then he grew up alongside other kids in his village. He lived in many ways like everyone else. He went to synagogue like everyone else. He was taught like everyone else. And so he lived a very normal, if you can say that, life. But then as he grew older, we see that he steps out of the background. He steps into the foreground for all to see. He began to teach amazing truth, and he teached in amazing ways. He taught with authority like no one else. He taught things that no one had ever heard. And then he began to do amazing things that no one had ever really seen before. Uh, The gospel writer John says that if all the stories of Jesus' miracles were written down, that there wouldn't be enough paper in the world, enough ink in the world to write them all down. He lived a remarkably full life. But one of the interesting things that we see as we look to the gospel accounts is that of all that is written about Jesus— there's a significant portion of it that focuses in not on his life and not on his miracles and not on his teaching, but on his death, his burial, and his resurrection. A couple of years ago, as a church, we we taught through the Gospel of Luke. I preached for three and a half years on Luke's Gospel. And, and one of the things that we saw in that is that the, the Gospel is broken down. The first 18 chapters of the 24 chapters in the book of Luke really focused in on all of Jesus' life, the 33 years of Jesus' life. But the last six chapters covered the final week of his life. And this is not just true of Luke's gospel. It's also true of the gospel of John. It's, It's true of the gospel of Matthew and Mark as well. A significant portion of what the gospel writers recorded for us was not the 33 years of Jesus's life, but the last seven days of Jesus's life. And what this tells us is that one of the most important things that we need to learn about Jesus is what we learn through his death. And that is the focus of this week's questions in the catechism. So let's look at those questions. Question number one is this. What do you understand by this word, suffered? Now, remember, we're, we're in the section of the catechisms that's focusing in on uh, the Apostles' Creed, namely that section within the Apostles' Creed that teaches us about what Jesus did. And in the Creed, we see this phrase, we read this phrase, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. And we're going we're gonna to look at that in the weeks to come. But here's that question. What do you understand by this word suffered? What do we mean when we say that? And here's the answer. That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, 
He might set us free, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Now, there's a lot that's packed into this answer, but ultimately this answer is trying to show that Jesus suffered in order to accomplish the mission that God sent him to accomplish. The gospel that we trust in, the gospel that we believe, the gospel that teaches us that God is holy, that we are sinful, and that Jesus died to save us from sin, that gospel message is wrapped up in this question and answer here. And and notice that this question, or the answer to this question, begins by pointing out that all of Jesus' life was suffering. Not just the end, but all of his life was suffering. And that's an interesting thing for us to think about. Now, one of the main authors of the Heidelberg um, is a theologian by the name of Ursinus, and and he wrote a commentary to this catechism. Uh, And and in that commentary, he included seven ways that Christ suffered. I'm going to share those with you so that we can see that during his whole life on earth, Jesus was suffering. Uh, Number one, he states that one of the ways that Christ suffered is that he gave up the joys of heaven. Uh, Number two, he experienced the infirmities of our nature, hunger and thirst and sadness and grief, pain even. Number three, he knew deprivation. He was deprived of certain things, and he even in, he experienced poverty. The Bible says that he had nowhere to lay his head. He said that. Jesus said that himself. Number four, one of the ways Christ suffered is that he endured insults and treacheries, um, slanders and blasphemies and, and rejection and contempt. Number five, he faced temptation from the devil. Now, all of these are things that he experienced in his life, right? He experienced um, no longer being in heaven, experiencing the closeness with the Father. He experienced infirmity of human nature and even part of fallen human nature. His, he, he was not part of the fallen human nature, but he experienced the brokenness of the, the natural world. He knew deprivation and poverty, all those different things, and even faced the temptations of the devil. But especially, Jesus suffered at the end. Number six, he died a shameful and painful death. And then number seven, he experienced the bitter anguish of soul as one accursed of God and forsaken by his heavenly Father. You see, Jesus' suffering didn't just occur on the cross. It was spread throughout his life, but it was punctuated at the end when he died in the place of sinners to atone for our sin. Now, in the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, Jesus is referred to as the suffering servant. He poured out his soul to death in order to make an offering to God for the guilt of all those who believe. He suffered in place of those who would believe. The the writer of uh, Isaiah says that he received in his flesh the stripes that we deserve, that he was oppressed and afflicted in our place. These are all words that are synonyms in many ways for suffering. And then, in addition to the physical suffering, Jesus endured the anger of God that we deserved. In other words, you could say this, no one died like Jesus died. No one suffered the way that Jesus suffered. Yes, there were thousands who were killed on Roman crosses, but but Jesus didn't just die on a cross. Jesus received the wrath from God that we deserved. And, And to that point, he had only ever experienced the love and delight of God. So here's here's the reality. To be honest, we can't fully understand 
the depth of his suffering. But like the Catechism says, he endured it in order to atone for our sins. Now let's focus on question 38. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Now, this is an interesting question. What does this have to do with the the theological underpinnings of the gospel? Well, part of it is just to show us that he he suffered in space and time and in, in, in the historical reality of the first century. But also there's some other things here about him being condemned by a civil judge. Anyway, we'll let the answer sort it out for us. So here's the answer to question 38. So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by a civil judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. So in Luke's gospel, it is recorded that Jesus was brought to Pontius Pilate to stand trial. But as Pilate questioned Jesus, Pilate found Jesus innocent. Um, He he actually told the people, I I find this man uh, guilty of nothing deserving of what you're calling out for. You're calling out for me to crucify him, to kill him, but he's done nothing deserving of such a sentence. And in the human law court of Jesus' day, he was found guilty of no crime, and yet he was still condemned to die. Now, all of this was part of God's plan for Jesus that would result in our freedom from, from sin. And, and I want to look at something else here. The Jewish legal system that Jesus was tried in, it, it's believed by many to have been one of the most carefully outlined systems of law in the entire ancient world. The foundation for this system of law was God himself, right? I mean, God gave the law to his people because he wanted them to be a just nation, and he wanted them to display his justice to the world. God commanded Israel to be a city on a hill. He wanted them to be a people who carried out justice, who loved kindness, and who walked humbly with their God. But the precision of Jewish law did not keep them from abusing that law in order to carry out their wicked plans historians have made clear that Jesus' trial was a gross miscarriage of justice on his behalf, right? I mean, he didn't deserve what he received. But we don't really need historians to help us to see that. I mean, in his life, Jesus did nothing but good to his fellow man. And then at the end of his life, he's treated like the worst kind of criminal. Jesus healed the sick. He restored the lame. He fed the poor. He showed grace to sinners. He set free those who were under demonic oppression. He comforted those who grieved. And on more than one occasion, he did this by raising their loved ones from the dead. I mean, in Jesus' life, he went about doing good. And then at the end of his life, the leaders of Israel repay him with cruelty and pain. As his trial was getting underway, he was held in custody, though no crime had been committed. He was punished, literally beaten and mocked, though no guilt was proven. Punishment was carried out before any um, crime was... He was accused of any crime that would stick before anything was actually handed down. He was, it was a miscarriage of justice. Jesus was a truly innocent sufferer. Now, why did this occur? Well, in in many ways, it occurred so that we could see, so that God could show us that Jesus, the truly innocent sufferer, was taking our place. He wasn't suffering because of his sin. He was suffering because of our sin. So why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned and so that we could be freed from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. 
The first Peter reads this way, chapter two, verse twenty-one. Christ suffered for you. And Peter's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. Christ suffered for you. He committed no sin. This is verse 22. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. All this is pointing out. Why did he suffer? He suffered for you. He suffered for the sins of all those who will believe. All right, question number 39. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? And the answer to this is yes. This death convinces me, this is again, this is the Heidelberg, this death convinces me that he shouldered the curse which lay on me, since death by crucifixion was accursed by God. Now the answer here is really a reference to what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now again, I think the point of this is to show how Jesus took our place. His suffering was for the benefit of those who believe. He suffered so that we could go free. He was treated unjustly so that we could receive pardon. He became a curse for us so that we wouldn't have to bear the curse ourselves. All of this, question 37, 38, and 39, all of this is pointing out that Jesus died for a purpose. And it gives us confidence that Jesus' death wasn't the result of his sin, but the result of our sin. And if he died for our sin, that means the payment has been made and we are free because of him. You see, God's wrath is very real, and it is very just, and our only hope of being satisfied, or of it being satisfied on our account, is on account of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Let me say it this way. When Jesus Christ did his work on the cross, it served to accomplish two things. He removed our guilt because his blood and death paid our ransom, and it satisfied God's wrath so that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. Because of our faith in Christ, we do not stand before the judge, God, as an enemy, but we stand before the judge as a friend, a son, even a daughter whose pardon has already been paid in full because of the suffering of our Savior. And now we can sing songs like this. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Thank you so much for joining me today to discuss the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope you have benefited from it. I hope it has been an encouragement to you, and I hope that you will join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 16 together and discuss questions 40 through 44. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cornerstone Wiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.